Exodus chapter 30, verses 22 through 38. These are God's words. Moreover, Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, Also take for yourself quality spices, 500 shekels of liquid myrrh, as half, half as much sweet-smelling cinnamon, 250 shekels, 250 shekels of sweet-smelling cane, 500 shekels of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, and a hin of oil. And you shall make from these a holy anointing oil, an anointed compound, sorry, an ointment compounded. According to the art of the perfumer, it shall be a holy anointing oil. With it you shall anoint the tabernacle of meeting and the ark of the testimony, the table and all its utensils, the lampstand and all its utensils, and the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the laver and the base. You shall consecrate them that they be, may be most holy. Whatever touches them must be holy. And you shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may minister to me as priests. And you shall speak to the children of Israel, saying, This shall be a holy anointing oil to me throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it according to its composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. And Yahweh said to Moses, Take sweet spices, stacti and onica and galbanum and pure frankincense. With these sweet spices, there shall be equal amounts of each, you shall make of these an incense, a compound, according to the art of the perfumer, salted, pure, and holy. And you shall beat some of it very fine, and put some of it before the testimony in the tabernacle of meeting, where I will meet with you. It shall be most holy to you. But as for the incense which you shall make, you shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be holy to you. It shall be to you holy for Yahweh. Whoever makes any like it to smell it shall be cut off from his people. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. This is the final uh, set of instructions for what is to be made for the building of uh, the tabernacle. Uh, verse, uh, verse chapter 31 is going to uh, continue on to the uh, instructions uh, for who and how and when uh, for doing the making. So this is kind of a conclusion uh, to much of what the Lord has told Moses uh, up on the mountain. And the way that the Lord concludes is by giving us at least a fourfold reminder of how holy his worship is, how holy his presence is something that is not uh, decreased, but increased in the New Testament. There is less outward glory, but there is more clarity and fullness in New Testament worship uh, because it takes place actually in heaven, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, to whom we are united by faith, with whom we have been seated, who has gone through uh, what the veil uh, in the tabernacle and the temple signified uh, into the Holy of Holies, of which the one on earth was just a copy, and who is there for us, not only as our anchor, uh, but also as our forerunner, uh, and we in union with him. Uh, and Hebrews 12 reminds us 
that we don't come to Sinai, uh, which makes us tremble with terror, uh, but we do come to a mountain that ought to make us tremble. We come to Mount Zion in glory. Uh, and our God, who is shaking the heavens and the earth, is, done, is doing so, uh, as uh, and part of his doing so, as we worship, is to preserve us to inherit an unshakable kingdom. But he's still the same God that he was at Sinai, and that he was in the tabernacle, and that he was, as he displayed himself in the tabernacle and the temple, he is still the consuming fire. Uh, and this both encourages us, as Jesus addresses us, that we uh, not uh, refuse him who speaks, uh, but that we uh, seek by his spirit, by his grace, uh, to have uh, humble, receptive hearts. Uh, but the other thing that we seek by his grace is to worship with reverence and awe. And so, uh, towards the conclusion there of Hebrews chapter 12, he describes, he says, let us have grace that we may worship acceptably uh, with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. Uh, and this reminds us that the holiness of God that is communicated in passages like this one is one that continues, is one that we come even nearer to in the New Testament worship. And so it is not to be done casually. And it is not to be done in any other way that God, than what God has designed. And it is to be done with reverence. And it is to be done with awe. Uh, reverence of heart and reverence of manner. Uh, not indulging oneself uh, like someone might do uh, among equals or inferiors. Uh, but with outward restraint as one does in the presence of one who is his superior. Who, so that the encounter would be an expression of the self of the superior, not of the inferior. This is one of the great mistakes, for instance, in the current thing that's going on uh, in Asbury. There's this idea that great expression of ourselves uh, indicates the nearness of God. No, when God is near, he is near as a superior. And it is great expression of himself that accompanies the genuine uh, nearness uh, of God. Uh, but the great thing is that though our flesh does not produce reverence and awe and humility of spirit and receptivity to God, God's spirit does. God's spirit applying Christ to us produces reverence of heart, reverence of manner, humility of mind as we hear the word, and we receive it with meekness, that by his spirit it may be the implanted word to us. He is holy, and his worship is holy, and we rightly respond to him in those ways. Well, what are the four ways that we see him in the passage before us communicating the great holiness of his dwelling among his people, the great holiness of their drawing near to him uh, in the way that he has uh, prescribed uh, for them to know his presence and to worship him who is present among them. Uh, and the first way is actually in that word prescribed. Moreover, Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, take for yourself. And now he gives them two recipes. He doesn't just say, 
Make yourself the best holy anointing oil that you can think of, better than any other holy anointing oil, and make that one to be the one that is only used for my worship. He doesn't just say, make the best incense that can be made, and make that one to be the incense that is used for my worship. No, he prescribes it. He comes up with the recipe. We don't even know if it was recipes that they would have liked. And you know what? It doesn't matter because it's the recipe that God likes. And that is the first way he communicates to us the holiness of his worship. He prescribes it to us. So uh, perhaps uh, if you can think of it this way, instead of using the word regulative principle, you could also say prescriptive principle. Uh, You guys, some of you remember GI, uh, and the historical term is regulative principle, so he uh, he didn't shy away (laughs) from using that. But he also liked to say scripture principle to drive home for the for the ordinary Christian who had never heard the phrase regulative principle. He say the scripture principle of worship, the right way of worshiping God, has been set forth in scripture which is also a direct quote from the Westminster Confession of Faith. Praise God. But he's teaching that to the Israelites here and to us. The Spirit having recorded Exodus 30, not just for them, but for us. God prescribes his worship. It is something that is so holy to come near him, to have the living God make his presence known to us, to help us by his spirit, to give ourselves to him as he has given himself to us. It is such a holy thing that it must never be done according to the ideas of men. The only time the ideas of men come into the the, the picture of how to worship God is what is the simplest, clearest, best way of doing what we have been commanded. So if God hadn't prescribed the recipe for the anointing oil or the recipe for the incense, they would have been under obligation, of course, to do it as excellently as possible according to the light that God had given them. Now, God doesn't tell us that we have to be in a building And God doesn't tell us that we have to have chairs. And God doesn't tell us what time of day the morning service is supposed to be. And what time of day the evening service is supposed to be. He doesn't tell us what temperature to keep the room. Right? All of those things are things that we uh, are doing because they are circumstances that answer the question, how can we best obey God's command that we be gathered, that we be gathered under the leadership of the ordained servants that he has given us, that we be gathered to read his word and sing his word and pray his word and hear his word preached and take the Lord's Supper. Okay, there are things that he has not, uh, there are circumstances of the other things that he has prescribed where the circumstances are not necessarily prescribed. But even that doesn't let you say, oh, well, we could do whatever we want. God didn't prescribe that. No, You should do it in the manner that is as best suited as possible to obey what he has commanded. And you should do nothing that he has not commanded. So here he prescribes even even the recipe. God literally dictates 
his worship. And people are like, oh, I don't like to think of God as a dictator. Well, you had better. He is the king of kings, the lord of lords, the blessed and only potentate. And when he calls Jesus that, he's, he's declaring to us that Jesus is God and man as well. He is a dictator. He is a benevolent dictator with a capital B and probably a capital benevolent. And it is good to have him dictate to us his worship. So that's the first way he shows us that it's holy. The second way is by all of this anointing. What does he use, command them to use the oil for? With it, you shall anoint the tabernacle, the ark. Okay, Think about how holy the ark is. Well, the same oil that is used on the ark is used on the utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the table and, sorry, the table and its utensils, the lampstand and its utensils, the altar of incense, <laughs> the altar of burnt offering outside, even the laver and its base, and even on Aaron and his sons. Everything in the worship of God, everything to be used, even that which was to be used for the washing of their hands and feet before the worship of God, like we heard last week, was to be set apart, consecrated as holy. So that's the second thing. He communicates the holiness of his worship by the prescription, by the recipes. He communicates the holiness of his worship by all of this anointing. He says, only the anointed ones who have been anointed for this person, Aaron and his sons, can touch the anointed things. Right, So the, the oil communicates uh, the consecration uh, of those things. He communicates the holiness by exclusivity. It shall not be poured on man's flesh, nor shall you make any other like it, according to its composition. And the phrase, according to its composition, uh, implies not just uh, the ingredients of the recipe, but the proportions of the recipe. They were, they were to be so careful not to make anything that could even be like it that they wouldn't even use the same proportions. They weren't to, the, the oil was not to touch anyone else except for the priests. Similarly with the incense. You shall not make any for yourselves according to its composition. It shall be to you holy for Yahweh. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. He shall be excommunicated. Maybe even ex execute it, but at least this is talking about uh, the putting out of the assembly, cut off from his people. He loses his inheritance. He loses his place in the public worship of God. He loses his identity with the tribe of Israel, of, of which he was a member. And it is quite possible, since Israel was a state and a church together as one, that it, that it also means execution. So exclusivity. And, oh, that's the last one, the penalty, the shall be cut off from his people. So the exclusivity was not to be used for anything else, and then the, the weightiness, the weightiness of the penalty shows the greatness of the holiness of God and the holiness of his worship. You know, there's a way of restraint or lack of self-expression in worship that people slouch into because they feel nothing about God. And they are unmoved, and they are spiritually dead. Uh, and some, uh, and sometimes, those who have experienced people who worship that way will use phrases like "frozen chosen," and they'll make jokes uh, about how dry and dusty 
the the worship of God is among those who have learned the scripture principle of worship, the prescription principle of worship, if we use that phrase, uh, from the from the first point. But there is a right way of coming into worship that is unrestrained of heart, even though it is restrained of expression. Because it is a worship that is in awe of who God is and that he has given us a way of drawing near to him and that he now is expressing himself. And so we receive with joy and we receive with adoration and sometimes we receive with conviction and humiliation. It's not, it's not that there is no response, but it is that it is a response of heart to God. And yes, those who, who, who are responding to him that way, we will do every part with all our heart. We will listen with all our heart. We will submit our souls to the preaching with all our heart. We will feed upon Christ and look to him with, with pleading and desire and intent to be nourished by him and satisfied by him at the table with all our heart. And yes, we will sing with all our heart and all our voice because he gives us to use our voice when we sing. But we will not do it in such a manner as to make it an expression of ourselves, but as those who know that they are participating in God's great expression of himself, even in the part of his worship that he does through the voices of his people. And we will do it because he is holy and his worship is holy, which here in these uh, 17 verses, he communicates in those four ways, the prescription, he alone defines the worship, the anointing, he gives them a visible, tangible way of seeing how holy everything is by its the application of the oil to it. The exclusivity that the recipe for the oil and the recipe for the incense was not to be used for anything else. Uh, in fact, uh, several of the Hebrew words describing some of these ingredients, we have no idea what they are anymore because it's the only place or one of two places in a couple of cases in the entire Hebrew Bible that we can't even use the recipe, praise God, because somebody out there would have written up the recipe and attached spiritual significance to that for themselves. And in the fourth place, the gravity of the penalty. Whoever makes any like it to smell it, he shall be cut off from his people. And in Corinth, when they weren't excommunicating, God was excommunicating, wasn't he? When they weren't treating his supper as holy. Our God is holy, which means it is glorious to worship him. Which means we should seek by his spirit to have grace that we may worship him the way that he has given us to do so with reverence and awe. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how it comes near to us in the times and seasons, the very things that uh, we are experiencing and hearing about the broader church. Uh, but oh Lord, this comes near to us in the way that we needed to hear uh, for our family worship, for our private worship every day, for your public worship especially uh, on the Lord's days. And we pray that you would grant to us to 
know that we have grace from you in Christ by your Spirit, and that we might seek to have grace so that we may worship in reverence and awe, for you are a consuming fire. And we bless your name that you who are the consuming fire have taken us for yourself, have consecrated us to yourself. And we ask that you would do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.